And good afternoon, and welcome back to Daring Live. It's Thursday, and I was just lamenting to young David Benjavaski that I feel like I haven't done this in like six months or something. Seems like a long time, but it wasn't, in fact, only like two weeks ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> you went out tomorrow first. Yeah, I traveled and, and it threw like a whole wrench into the works and it feels like that was a, a while ago. But yes, you're right. We went to Melfest and it was fantastic. Uh, firstly, fantastic to see everybody there that we haven't seen. Uh, both new faces, uh, familiar faces, uh, old friends, good friends, new friends. It was it was really, really cool to catch up with everybody. Um, and, you know, it's just I, I would say we're almost back to kind of some kind of normal. Dave, did you miss Melfest this year? Yeah, I, I missed it. You know, it's yeah. kind of a usual thing: Merle Fest and and a Jazz Fest at the end of April, beginning of May. Yep. So instead, we have the Nam show in a couple of weeks' time up in uh, yeah. up in Los Angeles, and um, that's that's a different. That's also throwing me off a little bit. But here we are, back on Deering Live, and one of the guys that uh, we got a chance to hang with um, at Merle Fest, where it only rained a single time. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, was young Trey Wellington, who's our guest today, um, long-time Deering artist, um, receiving uh, the 2019 IBMA Momentum Award for his uh, his work, Cane Mill Road. Um, he is also the communications manager over at Pinecomb. Um, he's a busy, busy man. Uh, we're actually blessed to have him join us today, which is the eve of his album release, his much-anticipated solo effort, Black Banjo, which I have. A copy of here, which is an awesome wow, a hard movie. copy. Yeah, I'll get into that in just a minute uh, when <laughs> when we bring in Trey in just a minute. But um, uh, yeah, and today he's going to join us to talk about his inspiration behind the title and the album itself, um, and to discuss his own experiences uh, as a black banjo player in bluegrass music. So it's going to be a really fun, interesting discussion, and another one that's very close to his heart. Uh, so without further ado, bring him in, Mr. Trey Wellington. Hey everybody! I'm super happy to be here. Hey Trey, everybody's doing well out there. <laughs> We're doing great, and all the better for seeing you. I, we, we, I saw you like two weeks ago. I know it was great seeing y'all. It was so good catching up with the Deering family, and um, yeah, seeing everybody and getting to play some awesome banjos and um, just see some friends I haven't seen in a very long time. That was great at Merle Fest. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just commenting. You handed me this at Merle Fest, and I have listened yes. to it. But I'm going to confess, it took me a minute to figure out how I was going to listen to this because I, my computer doesn't have a CD drive. Yeah. I don't have one at home. I was like, oh, my car has one. That's the only place where I've got a CD drive. Right now. So, <laughs> I've given it several good listens uh, on my way to work. In fact. So, um, and it's a really, really good uh, album. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. We're going to get into that. But I think first and foremost, Dave, what do you think? Should we get him to play a tune for us? Yeah, definitely. Love to hear. Cool. All right. Awesome. Let's do that first. Cool. Yeah. This first one I want to play here is one um, that is title tracks. Well, not title track, but track seven on the album. Um, this one's called Unknown Days Waltz, and I'll try and give it a little shot here for you. All right. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. 
right. Fantastic, Trace. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much. How'd, how'd you come up with that tune? Yeah, so that was one, um, you know, I'd actually heard something kind of like semi-similar to it um, in a um, rap song. Like I'd heard kind of that chord, like not the chord progression, but kind of the like back and forth between like a major and a minor chord, um, uh-huh. only a half step away. And um, so I'd kind of heard that from that and I was kind of like thinking, oh, that's really cool. And I really like how that makes me feel. And um, how can I turn that into something on banjo? And so I was sitting around one day and trying to find like, what key did I want this song to be in? And I hit a B flat note and I was like, Oh, that's the perfect key for me right there. And, um, so I kind of started playing with this idea and originally I was going to do something like, which I kind of liked, but it was like super dissonant and it was kind of weird. So I was like, Oh, let's try it like with an A minor instead of like a A major there. So... And I was like, oh, I actually really like that. Let's um, keep with that idea. So um, I just started playing with the melody a little bit and um, kind of slowly but surely came up with it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. A real nice song. I really like that. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for, for joining us today. Man, we've, been, we've been talking about doing this for, for a while and finally the, the yeah. schedules met up pretty well and it, you know, it's timed really beautifully with the album as well. So, but I know you wanted to come in and, you know, talk about a few different things uh, yeah. today. Um, and we've got about an hour uh, cool. or so. But I mean, you know, just to get things started, the album's Black Banjo. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously has some some meaning behind the name. So let's start there. Like, how did you come up with, you know, what was the inspiration behind kind of the name for the album? Yeah, so definitely um, it was one of those things um, when I was trying to think about naming an album, I was trying to think of things that were really important to me um, throughout the pandemic. You know, it was kind of my album coming out of this um, time that was super weird for everybody and a lot of the things we saw in the world going on during this time. And so when I was trying to come up with this album name, I was like, oh, let's think of a couple different options here and i had um probably like uh three or four different names that were on the thing and black banjo um, was one of them it just kept sticking out to me and um something i really noticed over the pandemic with there being a lot of um efforts and changes um in the social aspect of the world a big thing i noticed where it was more trying to um i was getting a lot of messages from people being like trey during this time you should really try to connect with your roots and play this style of music or play this style of music um, because this is kind of what like um, is authentic to the like black banjo and sound and I was like you know like that's not really what I do though like the traditional um, sound of black banjo is not at all what I do I love the sound of it and I totally like 100% respect that sound because it's awesome but at the same time, it's not what I do, and it's not what I'm really influenced heavily by. I do like the sound, like I said, so obviously I might take elements from it um, if I see fit. But um, overall, yeah, I'm not very, um, like, super influenced by it. And, like, my influences are listening to, like, jazz and R&B and rap, you know, if I'm talking about outside of bluegrass influences. So I kind of wanted to break this stigma of um, that I have to do this one thing and kind of break down those barriers um, because I think a lot of the time people do get um, put in these um, sections when it comes to music and um, nobody should ever be bound by like a specific genre or anything. And um, that's something I definitely have felt as a black banjo player in this world is just people wanting to constrict me to these kind of um, to these genres and these bounds and I'm 
not big on that. Yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, how important it is as an artist to to kind of not be constricted by by what you think people you know either people are gonna think people are either gonna like or people that just tell you you know you should be doing this for xyz reason yeah yeah um you know it was something that used to bother me a lot you know like people would say you know kind of get on to me about um you know like oh you should play this way or you should play this way you should um, play more like this when you play and after a while you know I believe that criticism is helpful and I think it's like a really good thing to listen to certain criticisms but I also think you have to be decisive with your criticism because you know everybody's going to have different opinions of what your playing's like or things like that so when you're looking at criticism don't throw it out like don't be like oh it's just like uh, that's not for me like I would take it in and see if that's something that could help what the sound you're wanting at the end of the day um a lot is, you know, like, you know, if somebody, if I was playing a bunch of melodic stuff and I was wanting to be a straight ahead banjo player, um, you know, and somebody came up and they're like, Hey, maybe you should try practicing and playing more scrug style in your breaks. You know, maybe that's like a good point. You know, if I'm wanting to be a straight ahead banjo player, but, um, if I'm wanting to go and do my own thing, then maybe it's not for me and that's okay. Cause it, music's just an opinion at the end of the day. And so, um, with all of this, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the innovators of a music and people that are coming up with their own style, everybody has had to push that bound of what is conventional within um, either their instrument, their genre, um, you know, what they wear, you know. Yeah. And it is hard to figure out, like, when you're trying to find your own voice, like, what, how much is your own voice, how much is in your own voice and how much, you know, you know, traditional other repertoire no matter what genre of music it is should you kind of be taking more influences from you know how much is it kind of just laziness of you going doing saying and not learning other stuff so it's just how do you how do you kind of balance that out and make those those artistic decisions i guess yeah you know starting out like i started out playing bluegrass music that was one of the first musics i played on banjo especially um i was like i did a little of electric guitar where i did some heavy metal stuff but we're not gonna get into that and we're not gonna get into that era of my life we're just gonna leave we're gonna leave that one in the back but, um, no, but i really do love that stuff still but um we're gonna we're, we don't need to talk about that we're here to talk about banjo but um yeah you know starting out in bluegrass you know when you jam in a bluegrass set and you know yeah there's gonna be tunes that like everybody's gonna want to um that's one of the awesome things about bluegrass old time and like roots music is that there is these core tunes that everybody can get together and a lot of people know them and y'all can play and there's this commonality and like a uh, fellowship in that and that's one of the really awesome things about this music and um, a lot of musics and um so yeah you know when you're first learning out yeah you should go and learn as much as you can from other people because at the end of the day you know hearing other people if you can find yourself to what um just what's around you and you don't go out and search for like other things, you know, you're never going to, you know, really learn a music. And it's all about, with every kind of musical style, you're learning a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, whether you're playing bluegrass, jazz, classical, you're still learning this vocabulary. You're learning, um, it's just like speaking, you know. Um, I heard um, Bela Fleck talk about this, you know. Um, like, when you're first, like, this is kind of going a little off topic, kind of on topic. But um, it kind of goes with genres, too, you know, um, like bluegrass might be your English and then you know you go and learn jazz you know that's going to be your French and then you know you go to classical that's going to be your Spanish and um, 
it's yeah music as a universal language is in that way um you got to learn the vocabulary and so by the way doing that is you learn the learn the traditional tunes and um kind of uh, like quintessential tunes there right right yeah well going back into the topic of your banjo of, of your of your album sorry um you know there's been there's through the history of bluegrass there's kind of been a pretty glaring uh lack of diversity in 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 the history of bluegrass but that's yeah. it's changing uh thankfully in recent years and uh what has been your experience as a you know person of color that's that's playing the banjo in you know bluegrass banjo yeah you know it's um it's kind of been you know a mixed thing because you know you go certain places you don't really ever you don't hear anything um and um then you go other places and you do hear you know little snide comments you know like i remember one of the early ones and like this was came out of a good place with a lot of people i feel like but it was a it was a weird thing to say and the only reason they were saying it is because i was a black musician but you know people would come up to me they'd see me play and they'd be like hey you know the banjo came from africa right I'd be like, yeah, yeah, like I've heard that. And it was just like a super weird thing to say. And, you know, at the time, you know, when I was first starting to play, I didn't think too much of it because I was 14 years old. But, you know, looking mm -hmm. back, you know, you um, think a lot more on those moments and think about how um, weirdly rooted that is, honestly. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, you know, so definitely like things like that, a lot of these like kind of statements with um, people trying to, you know, it comes from a good place, but it's also a um, just a strange thing to say. And um, that's something that I've definitely experienced a lot in bluegrass, as well as some just kind of overtly, um, you know, when I was in college, um, you know, being around a bunch of college kids, um, you know, I heard some things like very racist remarks there from people. And, um, you know, that was like a another eye-opening moment for me that I was like, oh, bluegrass, really, like, there's not many people of color in this music, um, especially early in college. I discovered that um, pretty early on. Right. But I've also, you know, it's not always, um, you know, always bad, you know, within, you know, the <clears> realms <throat> of bluegrass, well, bluegrass old time and roots music, you know, you do find community, though, with people, you know, other people of color or, um, in general, and, you know, it's really nice to get to see them, like, when I go to these festivals or, or like, conventions or something. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, we, we've spoken about this a little bit over the years, but more recently, kind of in the build-up to this episode, um, and I remember you kind of kind of commenting on, on what you're describing where people, you had, you had some comments of people kind of saying, like, you should be playing a certain style of banjo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, more kind of geared towards the kind of that I'll call Mitchell style, I guess, and and that kind of thing, which is yeah. not necessarily bluegrass thing. And your response to me in in that conversation was very much, "I'm an American first, and I want to play bluegrass banjo. This is my thing." Like, can you elaborate on that a little bit and kind of yeah. expand? Like, how, you know, how do you see yourself? You're you're a fantastic player. Like, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I don't want to just play bluegrass. That's like a um you know, one of those things, like, I play all kinds of music, like, I play, you know, I do play bluegrass, you know, that's where my home base is, that's where I started, um, you know, I'll play old time, I play R&B, I play jazz, I play blues, you know, I play all kinds of stuff all over the field, um, right now, you know, I'm touring with, like, yeah, like, my band, Trey Wellington Band, is primarily a progressive bluegrass band, but that's not all I do either, and, um, it's one of those things, like, um, when kind of, like, dealing with, 
that kind of stigma like oh you should play this style of music i just kind of look at it as like you know i'm gonna do me and um anybody that doesn't like that you know i'm sorry like i don't you know what i mean um i don't mean that in any kind of way like i shrug people's off because i do want to hear people's opinions what they think of my music because it's a very important part of growing and um you know i want to know if everybody hates my music too (laughs) (laughs) i doubt it i doubt it very much i mean Dave, sorry, you I didn't want to cut you off now. Uh-huh. Okay. So I, I was just going to say, I remember like one of the first times I met you in person was at IBMA, I think, mm-hmm. um, twenty eighteen, maybe something like that. And I was in a, I was in a, a, one of the conferences, um, and uh, Kathy Fink, good friend of yours, stood up yeah. and and kind of, you know, was in front of the board and, and just kind of made a really good kind of point about one of the things that should be focused on. It was it was more of a general kind of um, making bluegrass in particular at that time um, just more accepting to, to everybody, right? Yeah. Uh, different, different races, different genders, different um, uh, members of, of different members of society in general. Yeah. What improvements do you see have been made over since, like, since you've been doing this? It sounds like, you know, you've been doing this for quite a long time already since you were kind of 13, 14. But what... Um, what what changes do you kind of see in, in you know, that that short journey so far? Yeah, um, there's definitely certain things that are getting better. Um, I do see more effort in trying to you know obviously make it a more inclusive place, but at the same time you do see these things getting better. But at the same time, um, a lot of the time it's meant in a good way, but it doesn't actually um, the execution is not as good. Um, the intention is there, but the actual follow-through yeah. maybe not. Like, yeah. yeah, like I remember this show um, that happened probably uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Um, I'm not going to mention anybody's name or anything like that. Um, but um, it was one of those things that I was, um, you know, booked for a show. And I was really excited to do it. And then, you know, um, when they started marketing it, they marketed it as a special Juneteenth performance by Trey Wellington. And, you know, it was like one of those things, I feel like it was probably well-intentioned, but it was such a cringy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. it was just, it was super, super, super weird. And in that same vein, you know, kind of like talking about the promoter side of things, a lot of the time with promoters, they are trying to increase diversity at festivals, but they don't go out of their bubble. They hear about one person and then they'll book like, one person of color or like one dot like diverse person at their festival and then that's all they do and then you know the rest of them are all white bands mm. and um you know when you see that it's kind of like you know they're i guess they booked this one person but and like good for that one person they get the you know another show on the books for them but at the same time in that same vein if we are going to try and make a valiant effort make an effort that's like hiring multiple people of color because just choosing one person to be like your, um, you know, show person for diversity is not helping anything. It's just, you know. Mm -hmm. I think you can probably apply that to a lot of different things, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Not necessarily music, (laughs) but... uh, Yeah, it's not just music. No, it's definitely worldwide and um, (laughs) business-wide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so gain into just your, um, when you've had self doubts about your music that you've played as you're growing as an artist, how have you gotten 
past that and and continue to grow because we all kind of hit, have these moments where like am i is do i suck am i going to am i just like totally make going down the wrong path etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i go you know i have those all the time you know self-doubt is um you know something that a lot of people struggle with and i'm one of them um, I think at the end of the day, it's are you you look at your vision of what who you want to be as an artist at the time. You know, and visions are for changing. You know, many artists you know have been playing like this, and then they'll go way off the um, way off the other end and be like a completely different artist. And I think it's one of those things you just have to um, decide what is your musical vision and evaluate for yourself. And, you know, it's one of the, like, if you're like, okay, I want to be this super flashy player. I want to know all these hot licks, do all this. You know, you need to go practice that then if you're not, um, if you don't feel, you know, you should always practice. Um, But at the same time, if you're not at that level to where you want to be yet, um, you need to, you know, go practice and um, just try and like listen to the players you really like and listen to influences you really like and try and put that stuff on banjo and then... um, you know, just keep playing it and keep playing it until you feel like you're at the level you want to be. And, you know, you can always push past your, like, where the level you want to be, but just, you know, starting out, have that goal of, like, I want to be here. And make short strides for yourself as well. Like, don't just, like, expect yourself. Like, I know a lot of players, they get frustrated because they'll be like, I want to be the super flashy melodic player or, like, something where they'll, like, be like, I want to play this kind of style of music. And they'll do it for, you know, two or three weeks. And then they'll be like, oh, I'm not getting it. It's not for me. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you just, like, you're playing two or three weeks on this stuff. Like, it might take <laughs> you six months to even get get it remotely nailed. So it's just like, don't give right. up on yourself. Just keep on trying. And what do you suggest if you're trying, if your goals are are above where you're at at the time and, and you know, you're performing or have yeah. a recording date or something, how do you dial it back? to to a place where you can actually make the make you know make those licks but not yeah. water it down too much so it's just kind of like watered down yeah. simple music at that point you know especially if you're like getting ready for a recording session it's playing to your strengths and not playing to your weaknesses so i you know a recording's forever and like whatever you play on a recording you can play anything on a recording if you have the time and money you can do about anything on a recording, but, um, it'll be expensive though. <laughs> it'll be expensive. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to run up a bill, but if you have the time and money, you can do that. Um, but if you're, you know, you're, especially if you're on a limited basis, um, I would definitely, you know, before you go into the studio, you know, sometimes you don't know when you go into the studio, what you're playing either, especially if you're like a studio musician. But, um, if so let's say your band's going in the studio though, and you have all the stuff just arrange, you know, if you're not confident on some of the material you're playing, you know, arrange like what you're going to do on the record and um beforehand and just really work out you know like what are your backup like what are your like fancy licks going to be where are you going to do this are you going to do any fancy licks on this song um just to make those decisions ahead of time just so when you get into the studio you're just kind of in a um productive way and you know if you can't get a lick you know um it's not the end of the world you know even though it's going on a recording um it's better to play what you're going to pull off and nail rather than something that at that time you might not be able to get. And it just takes time. Right. Well, do you want to play something else for us right now? Yeah. Yeah. I'll kind of do like a more, I'll do a more up tempo song. I actually, um, 
do the song Pond Mountain Breakaway. Um, I, I don't know what track this is on the album. That is track 10. Track on 10. <laughs> Sweet. I'm on it. I got it. <laughs> I need my copy. Where's my copy? You gave it to me. And that's why I had it. <laughs> I had my one copy and I gave it to you, Jay. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I was at, uh, I was at the Deering residence yesterday briefly and... Uh, this was sitting right next to their uh, their hi-fi system, so they've been playing oh, it at home cool. as well. So, oh, awesome. <laughs> That's great. I'm, good to, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, I'll play this one. This is Pond Mountain Breakaway. Awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So how'd you come up with that tune? Uh, that was one. I actually came up with an electric guitar riff for that one. Um, I play a little bit of electric guitar. Um, and um, I was actually coming up with like a, something for like an electric recording. And I was like, mm, mm, mm. And like, I was like, I ain't going to try. I was, it was more like, I guess, like... <laughs> Like it was like that on guitar though right. and um so i was coming up with that and um it was kind of like another thing like i was like how do i make this into like a because i just don't want to do because that's kind of that's not cool like the it's, it actually it's kind of cool but we'll come back <laughs> <laughs> um, um <laughs> but i was like i wanted to make it more interesting i wanted to make it more of like a musical thing um that wasn't just going back and playing chords on repeat right. like that and doing that. Um, so I was like, how do I make this interesting? So I just started, you know, thinking of like, okay, here's a D minor. Here's a D minor. Here's a D minor. There's a D minor. And I was like, okay, how do I want this to go? And then I was like, da, 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 da. So I was like, oh, it kind of moves down like that. So that's perfect. So, and at first I didn't even do that roll. I remember I just did like, So then I was like, okay, let's add in some rolls in here. So I was like trying to think. I was like, okay, what would be cool? And um, I just, you know, stuck to, stuck, went back to the basics and stuck to the Foggy Mountain roll there. The... And then I interjected that little like just forward roll right there in the middle. So. Mm -hmm.
which ended up kind of being pretty cool. And um, then I was like, okay, where do I go? I got this part now. And um, where do I go from here? And, you know, I wanted something that was kind of like a fast-paced one for the album. Um, right. It was just kind of like a, a kind of like a bluegrass, like a new grass kind of thing. And um, so then I was like, oh. And I was like, oh, let's go C. And then I kind of, you know, just went with the mold, G, <laughs> D, and then back to G. And then, um, right. then I wanted to make the um, I wanted to make the B part super cool, um, something that wasn't like standard either. And so um, I kind of like was like. I was listening to like song that maybe had something similar going on with that, and I was like, "Oh, let's let's use that little portion," and then and I was like, "Okay, now how do I make this like not just like back and forth between these chords, and actually have some kind of meaningful outro?" And so like I hit the G, and then I was like, "Okay, where do I go from here?" Then I was like just messing around on the neck and I came up, hit this E minor and then the B minor. So I was like. And then kind of thought back to that first rhythm, you know, the. So it was like. And then he ended up just on the F. Um, and that was kind of all accidental. Um, mm -hmm. I was hearing it in my head, but a lot of it was accidental. And then. Um, um, and then kind of coming out and I was like, okay, let's get, let's get back into kind of this bluegrass vibe. And so it was like, um, the lick I played there was. And then, you know, just going back and, um, and then I came up with that other little, um, kind of interlude section, um. I just wanted to like have something that like you know I think on the album the way we arrange it is we have like banjo solo and then there's like a fiddle or a man I can't remember fiddle or a ban mandolin solo after the banjo and then I was like okay I want to throw somebody like I don't want them to think I'm just taking another banjo break and so right. I just um I was like messing around with some of these kind of like but I did want them to fit over those chords at first so the And then I was like, let's throw something really weird in there. So like after I was kind of like. I just tried to throw that little diminished chord in there. And then mm -hmm. um, and then I decided like after that, I was like, oh, I got my one weird thing. Let's get back into the melody. And so I had this little <laughs> chromatic like. And then, of course, I was like, okay, well, and now it's it's been normal too long. Let's make it weird again. And then I went into this kind of, I used the tritone there and uh, did an A flat in substitution of the D that would be in that place usually and played this little like. And then kind of got back into my C from there. Mm -hmm. I hope that cool. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, for, cool. for me, it does. It's kind of, on coming up with, it kind of shows a good outline of, of making a, you know, kind of a, a new grass um, breakdown sort of tune like that. Yeah. Um, where you're kind of, you know, it's arpeggiating breakdown tunes are kind of a mixture of licks and arpeggiating chords essentially. Yeah. And uh, they don't, they aren't strongly melodic a lot of the time, but then, you know, you see, you, you kind of, you had, it, it looks like you, you had your spots where you want to make it a little different. So you might do a different chord change or a different lick to 
yeah. that like a, a little melodic lick to run into each other would that be like a good framework you would say basically something yeah like that? that's a great framework and i also think for me like one thing a theme of this album across all the writing on it was i was trying to think you know like where can i like because you know it's like you think of the great like written pieces in the world um you know like when you go back to like you think classical and jazz music and a lot of mm-hmm. those compositions there you know a lot of them have those kind of like um like interlude section kind of things where they go kind of off the, like what's going on there. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. good outline when thinking of like writing tunes too, even if they're like a traditional tune, you know, and you're playing it. Um, I don't know, like why, why not have a little weird section in there to kind of like yeah. um, take a break from that kind of melody. Cause then when you get back into the melody, you know, it's not like people are like, Oh my gosh, I've heard this melody now for four times in a row. Right. Like, you know, it's like, Oh no, like you're they're actually getting like a little refreshing, like new thing in the middle of a song and then oh let's get back into the tune again and then they're not as um uninterested when that gets back in. Yeah, yeah. And those are the things that keep listeners on their toes, right? And just yeah, like, exactly just kind of keeps it a little unpredictable. I yeah. Think. Somebody yeah. who's really good at that, I think, you know, like you listen to Bela Fleck, Jens Kruger, Tony Trishka, you listen to those those guys, they're really good at that with their writing. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, I was cutting you off there, sir. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was I was interested in um listening to the album. I know you had uh Wayne Benson on there. Yeah. Um playing mandolin. Um yeah. we worked quite closely with, with Kristen. Uh, cool. But he's he's awesome. He's, yeah, he's a he's great amazing. mandolin player. How did it all come about? Like, was was that you reaching out to to all the musicians, and who did you have on the album to kind of um, to back it up and, and make yeah, you make so, you shine, man? Yeah, I signed with Mountain Home Music Company over the pandemic, and um, for this album, you know, we decided um, to kind of collaborate me with some of the Mountain Home artists there, and. Um, you know, I'd, he was like, oh, do you know John Stick? We were just kind of going through people we were trying to think of. And uh, they didn't have to be Mountain Home artists, but um, we were just trying to think, like, oh, who are some people that, like, would be really good on this? And early on in the project, um, you know, we had started these recordings, like, a long, like, almost like a year and a half ago, I think, because when we recorded the first set of these tunes. And so, um, yeah, like, at the time, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, John Stick would be great. And then... Um, when I was thinking of mandolin. I was like, "Oh, Wayne Benson's on here, right?" And they were like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, let's get Wayne. He's awesome." And then um, um, Kevin on bass, Kevin Kerberg um, plays with Zoe and Cloyd. He's a great bass player. And I'd actually never met Kevin, but I was like, when I was like asking around about people who would be like really good. Um, John was like, oh, have you like met Kevin Kerberg? He's with one of these bands, but he's a great and he's an amazing bass player. And I was really happy with um, everything Kevin did on the album. And um, then there was um, the first set of fiddle players was Lindsey Pruitt and Carly Arrowwood. And they're both amazing fiddle players. And, um, um, you know, we got Carly on um, two of the original songs from the first session. And we got uh, Lindsey on the other two songs. And then, um, then when we came back to re-record, we were trying to, you know, um, John thought, oh yeah, let's, it'd be a good idea to probably keep the same cast of people roughly. 
and I had actually met Avery and um, at a couple festivals not too long before we started recording um, this and got to play with him in a little bit. And I was like, hey, can we um, bring Avery Merritt? Because I, I, just on the specific tunes, you know, I loved Carly and Lindsay. And um, I was just thinking with the tunes, you know, we had played like one of them with Avery while I was out um, at a festival uh, Winfield, Kansas, and he killed it. So I was like, oh, why don't we see if he can come in for the rest of these tunes? And so he came in. Uh, Avery plays with Sierra Hole's band um, full time, and so he came in and did that, and it was um, yeah, he killed it and knocked it out of the park. So that was the full cast. And then we got um, on one song, we got Tim O'Brien to come in, and we did like a little duet on uh, "Wasted Time." Wow! Did y'all do that live together, or did, uh, did no, he do it? Did you uh, send parts, you know, digitally? Yeah, we sent we sent parts in that one. We couldn't, there was a, you know, there was a time we were trying to get together in the studio and then, um, um, I think like he had a show reschedule or something and we ended up not being able to get together in studio, but, um, we sent parts back and got all that done and I was still really happy. I loved how it turned out. Nice. When you're doing that sort of thing, when recording with, you know, separate, separately, not in the same room, anything and, and it's, and there's no drum track, um, did you, did you, how do you suggest doing, did you do it all to a click and, and then? Yeah, we did everything to a click. Um, but with the ex- exception of one tune, we did everything else to a click. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier to go, go back and, <laughs> and, and layer things on top without the, the tempo exactly. slightly changing here and there. And you've got a live band out with you as well, right? So when you're when you're playing on yeah. Belfast, talk, talk to us a little bit about um, who's playing with you live. Yeah, uh, so um, it's a really great group. I love going out and playing with them, and they're the best best people to work with. Um, um, Nick Watsonfeld's on guitar. He's an amazing vocalist, songwriter, guitar player, um, all around great musician. Um, he's got a lot of cool music he's going to come out with. Um, relatively soon he's about to record an album of solo stuff and it's going to be great so i definitely recommend going and checking that out uh josiah nelson it plays mandolin and um he's a really great um mandolin and fiddle player um he does a lot of really really cool music um on his own as well um with his project and um, he has some recordings out um and he's actually about to release a new one um here in just a just a little bit um i think in june so definitely go check that out as well. And um, then Caitlin Lowe plays bass. And um, she um, has done a lot of work with a lot of really great groups, um, Got has got a lot of really cool stuff out there. Um, and she's just a, a, about as solid of a bass player as you can get. And we play cool. um, mostly original. We write a lot of the material. We do some of my stuff. We do some of their stuff. So it's kind of like a mixed bag of stuff we like to do. And you draw on influences from other genres, you know, mm-hmm. you know, on this, on this, uh, on this album, you know, you have a uh, Train tune and a Roy Hargrove, Hargrove tune. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, and, and uh, do you ever want to um, record with, and this is a, a typical string band or instrumentation. Do you ever want to yeah. record with other instruments other than the, yeah. the string band arrangement? Definitely. It's in the um, ideas um, somewhere. I've actually recorded um, some. I did, um, I've done two or three done um, where it's like more of a jazz uh, setting with like drums, horns, 
and things like that. And um, I'm playing banjo and electric guitar on those. Um, it's mostly um, centered around electric guitar, but um, yeah, like I plan to. I don't know if you can see this. I have this little electric banjo here, banjo strat, and I plan to do <laughs> some cool stuff with this in the in the near future. <laughs> For sure. Very cool. We'll keep an eye out for that, definitely. Cool. I want to. I want to see what that is. We'll have it's to have a, a conversation after after the show and kind of dig into what that is exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is a this is a cool instrument. I got it not too long ago. It's um. It has become a favorite of mine. Besides this one and my other banjo. Well, favorite electric banjo because I only have one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's totally fine. Uh, yeah, I, it, it was. We need more electric banjo, I think, in the world. Yeah, Favorite it's grace, cool I stuff. Tell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you wrote most. I mean, obviously not all the tunes, but you wrote most of them, right? They're yeah, most um, I, I think I wrote like seven. I mean, now eight of the um, eleven. If I'm not mistaken, I think I had three covers. Three or um, I might have. You should know. This is your album. I know. I think, I, wrote, I think I wrote. I know. I should know this. I'm really slacking here on, on, on the live. Um, um, yeah, I wrote eight out of the eleven. We're going to say that. I think I'm pretty firm in saying that. And did you write the whole thing, or did did you have any any input from the um, the musicians musicians that you brought in to record on any of the parts, uh, or was no, it kind of like all kind of laid out before? Yeah, it was mostly all laid out. Me and John Weisberger recorded it. Um, I mean, uh, arranged it um, together. And um, yeah, so we um, just sat down, had some sessions, talked about it. I had a lot of the arrangements in my head already, um, and I just wrote those down. And then, like, John um, charted them out, and um, we just went in there in the studio and got it, um, got them done. I like it. I like it. You, I mean, you play a lot of jazz too. Do you, do you ever mess with um, like tenor banjo? I know Dave, Dave's a five and, a, and he's a tenor banjo player as well for, for more jazz stuff. Do you ever? I mess with that at all? Actually, um, it's kind of funny. At my work, um, there's some instruments that have been donated. And um, I recently, there was a tenor banjo I saw. And um, it's at the office right now. But, um, yeah, like, I'm going to eventually, um, you know, I've been so busy with this album and making sure I'm good with this stuff that, oh, can you all still see me and hear me all right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. I, oh, I think Jamie might have froze up for a minute. But um, yeah, um, with tenor banjo though, yeah, I'm going to definitely at some point uh, dig into that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's frozen. Either that or he's yeah. really still. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if I froze at first. I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, yeah. If uh, you got to dive into the tenor banjo thing too. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's fun. And, and uh, do you play mandolin at all? Uh, yeah, I do play. Um, yeah, I've um, messed around with it. I'm not like a pro-level mandolin player by any means, but I do mess but around with it. But the fifth tuning, you could yeah, pick yeah. up and play that, some chords. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for cool. sure. I'm scrolling through the chat here. trying. To, I, I know we had a couple questions in here. Okay. Um, I think, let's see. Well, here's one right at the end here. Uh, Susan Safarth is saying tenor banjo, which tuning? Because there's the Irish uh, tuning and there's the standard tuning. And then, you know, people do Chicago tuning and, and things yeah. like that. 
Yeah, don't hold me on that one because I'm not a tenor band. <laughs> I've not picked it. I like I said, I've you haven't not picked, picked it up it. yet. Yeah, yeah, um, you haven't. I am, the, I, I am not the person to ask. <laughs> I don't want to tell anybody wrong. <laughs> Well, well, Susan, the, the standard tunings are in fifths. The standard tuning is C, G, D, A, C, the lowest string, up to A, the highest. And, and then the Irish style is uh, is 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 still in fifths, but it's G, D, A, E, the lowest string being a G, just like a mandolin, but an octave below. Um, so someone else, I can't find the name yet, but um, she asked, how'd you get started playing banjo? Yeah. Um yeah, so I started playing banjo um, when I was uh, around 13, 14 in that range. Um, I had, um, I was in this um, club in my middle school. Um, well, like I said, you know, I'd played electric guitar. And, um, you know, in the area I grew up, I grew up very near where Doc Watson was. And so the influence of Doc Watson's undeniable in that area. So like some of my friends at the time had started playing like flat picking guitar and I'd heard some like Doc CDs. Um, my grandpa had a huge selection of CDs and Doc um, was one of the artists in there. And so when I heard that, I was like, whoa, what is what is this right here? And um, so I, I, I originally, you know, wanted to learn flat picking guitar. And so I went to this club and started um, trying to flat pick a little bit and um about two or three months into the class, um, I remember one day um, I was playing like a bad Johnny Cash cover on a desk um, and trying to sing. It was really, I'm sorry for anybody that was there. If anybody from from there is on this chat, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and um, so, um, <laughs> so he pulled, um, the teacher one day pulled out a banjo and started playing. Um, it was a Gibson RB4. I remember that now. And um um, he started playing Salt Creek and I was mm -hmm. like, Whoa, what is that? What is he, what is he doing? And I remember just falling in love with, um, the sound of it. And, um, I went home and my mom, um, I asked my mom for one for a couple of weeks until she finally was like, okay, I'll get you one. And so, um, about, uh, three months later we had, um, we got one from a pawn shop in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, actually. <laughs> And um, I finally got to start playing banjo, and I, I was a um, just a cheap banjo, no tone ring, just um, no back. Well, it had a back, but it was like held on by four screws. But hey, I am so thankful I was able to get that instrument. Yeah. And when and how'd you keep going? Like, what kept you to keep going and you know going down the path and getting deeper into it all yeah, the time? Yeah, when I was a kid, um, I was really. Um, really um goal driven so like if i put my mind to something i could get it done um <laughs> that was one of my um <laughs> like as far as getting you know like continuing something and you know around the time i got my first banjo you know everybody was like oh trey you don't need to play banjo you're not going to play banjo it's just going to be a summer thing or something and i was like you know what i take that as a challenge um and so i just started um I asked the teacher at the end of the class when we were done, um, hey, who's a teacher local? Like, do you give lessons? And he said, oh, I don't really give lessons, but this guy who taught me gives lessons. Um, you should give him a call. And so um, uh, his name is Eric Harden, and um, I gave him some calls, and he finally um, picked up for me, and he was like, oh, hey. And I was like, yeah, I was, like, wondering about um, – getting lessons and he was like oh yeah he's like you free this time so i convinced um my grandpa to help me pay for lessons my first couple um until i got used to it and so um 
we um, started going up the lessons, and um, he started me out on a bunch of the Scruggs-style stuff, and I was listening to a lot of banjo at that time. Um, wasn't practicing like I should have early on um, until I was, like, 15, like I'd been playing for a year, and then that's really my practice really picked up a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of your kind of... What are some of your future goals at being a banjoist, you know, professional banjoist? Yeah. What do you really want to do, say, be accomplished five years from now, whatever, you know, or looking yeah. back five, ten years from now, and you'd be like, yeah, I, you know, I nailed it. Because yeah. you, you mentioned you are kind of goal-driven, too. Yeah, I really want my music to touch people. That's overall, like, the main thing. And, you know, you know, um, without trying to sound cliche, you know, kind of push the... Um, you know, push the envelope on banjo and really get my own sound on it, get my own style is um, really what I'm hoping. Like, I want people to be able to listen and know it's me and um, right. like the music and be touched by the music I play. So that's like a really big thing for me, um, you know, in the next, you know, five years. You know, I hope it happens before five years, but um, if I had to set that goal, that would be definitely one of them. And um, continuing to push my own comfort zone and put banjo in situations maybe it's not been very often. Um, and do my own thing with it. Um, is yeah, that's my main, my main goal. Cool. And who are some who are some musicians that some banjoists that you think have have really achieved that 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 of really sounding just like themselves? Because the um, you just really clearly sounded and did something different. You know, there's Bailafleck, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, but who else are a few that have really, really, you can just hear a few notes and you know exactly who they are, who it is playing. Yeah. Um, John Hartford is one of the first people to come to mind off the top of my head. I think John, yeah. um, I think John Hartford, you know, I think he really has his own thing going like, or, um, you know, he had his own style completely. Um, and like when I, when I hear John Hartford come on, like automatically I'm like, Oh, that's John Hartford. Like yeah. without a second yeah. thought on, you know, and um, I think he's really achieved that. Um, there's a number of players who have really came a long way and done that. Um, uh, Tony Furtado is another one right off the top of my head. I think, like, mm -hmm. as soon as I hear Tony's music, I was super into it. I know it's him um, right off the top of my head. Um, I think Scott Vestal is one I know right off the top of my head. Um, every time yeah. I hear him, I think Yens is one. I think Yens has his own unique, completely unique touch on it. Definitely. Um, um, yeah, the Ralph taught my head. Those are like some of the ones that are yeah. really sticking out that I, I'm like, oh, I I know that's them right as soon as I hear them. Yeah, it's a it's a great goal. It's it's because so many banjo players just want to sound like other banjo players, and so it's it's great to hear that you know you're really striving to get your own sound. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's a very important thing to me. Cool. Well, Trey, we're looking forward to. Um, to your album release tomorrow, everybody, you can get it yeah. on all the, all, all the, the streaming pl platforms. Right. And, and yeah. where, anywhere else, the Bandcamp or anything like that. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can go to Bandcamp, um, TreyWellington.com. Um, you can order and I'll send you one. And um, if you want it signed, I can even, you can get a limited edition signed one. Wow. Um, there you if go. You really, if that's what you want, if you want me to break that pretty packaging and put my bad signature <laughs> on there, I will do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right well you better better get a get a new pen going because you might have to sign quite a few i hope so <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, thanks for being on. It's it great having you on again. And um, and um, do you want to play us out? Play us out with another tune? Yeah, sure. Um, I was trying to think of another one off the album to do. Um, I'm going to do um, that one we were kind of talking about, Naima. Um, I've done two originals, so I'll do one of the covers I did. But before you play Naima, you you put lyrics on top of it. I do. I was curious about that. What how'd you come? What kind of inspired you to put lyrics on there? Yeah. So um, yeah, I got into writing a bunch of poetry over the pandemic, and um, so that was like one of the things I'd written. That like, and one of the you know one of Coltrane's things was like with a bunch of like when there was a lot of change in the world, he would write music to inflict with that. And mm-hmm. so when I was doing this song, you know, with that theme in mind of like what Coltrane's music was really about, like I was like, okay, you know, this is something like I feel like is really meaningful right now. And to right. me, and like that poem was, and even though it was like very short, it was like a little 10 second clip. I thought it added like a new layer for me to that song. Yeah, it definitely does. It's great. Thank you. All right. Well, love to hear it. Cool.